This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. Welcome back to Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. Kevin Farrell here with Libby Hartfield, retired director of the Mississippi Museum of Natural Science, and Dr. Troy Major, veterinarian at the Animal Medical Center in Jackson. We have a couple of studios uh, guests in studio this morning. Uh, they're very tiny, and they're crawling around in a jar that Libby has. They actually, because we're talking about love bugs to help set the mood, Libby uh, caught some. And again, they're, she poked holes in the top of the lid, so we're not killing them, but there's a number of them crawling around in our jar in there. Yeah, it's not too hard to catch them this time of year. So we're going to find out all about love bugs today, as well as uh, pet questions for Dr. Major. If you'd like to join the conversation, the number is one eight seven seven mpb ring It's one eight seven seven. 672-7464, or you can send an email. It's animals at mpbonline.org. Reminder that if you miss Creature Comforts on Thursdays, it repeats every Saturday morning at 6. So good morning. Hope that you're both doing well this morning. Good morning. Good. good. Thank you. So let me Science Fest 2018 this Saturday. That's a, a big deal in the museum district. Can you give us a little yes, bit of a detail? Definitely. And uh, one of my favorite things that's going to happen, I'm going to be there, I hope, both days. Uh, so it's going to happen Friday the 21st and Saturday the 22nd. Marie Curie is going to be there. Oh, wow. And uh, it's a one-woman play by a lady that's done this all over. Well, I guess, I think she's done it in Europe, too, so pretty widely. And uh, we've wanted her to come to Mississippi for a while and finally worked out a way to get that done. So she'll be doing the performance at 1 o'clock on Friday and then again on Saturday. So that's a cool thing. But there's hands-on science all over the Science Museum, the Children's Museum, Sports Hall of Fame, and Ag Museum. And um, scientists from all over the state have been coming in and polishing up their hands-on stuff. So there's live animals for those that want live animals. There's chemistry and physics and all kinds of fun stuff going on. And uh, even this afternoon, I guess, just to get started a little bit, the pre-service teachers from Millsaps are going to be in the museum halls doing hands-on science. All right. So it would be fun to help out those pre-service teachers get a little experience with kids and that'll be fun they're going to be doing that actually the next few thursdays i think for the next month right. and then i've got one more thing coming up you want me to mention sure uh pascagoula river nature center down in moss point has got an exhibit swamp savannas dunes and ditches and it's it's the art of mary anderson pickard and uh chris stebley okay it's a, a mother's son pair of artists from um and of course the anderson family so a long tradition of mm-hmm. artists there and then this saturday a little competition for science fest <laughs> at one o'clock from one to two thirty they're both going to be talking about the role of nature as an influence in art and that should be a great conversation so All i'd right. like to be two places at once and then up in clarksdale the smithsonian waterways exhibit so lots of science going on so we are going to be talking about love bugs today. If you uh, want to have a question or a comment about love bugs, maybe you'd like to share your experiences with them, uh, give us a call. Dr. Major's here ready to take some pet questions as well. The phone number is one eight seven seven mpb ring which is one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. Let's start out with an email. Uh, it comes from Christy, who says, My two indoor cats recently 
uh, were exposed to a new kitten we adopted. The kitten was part of a couple of litters belonging to a neighbor and was strictly an outdoor situation. The cats had no shots or any other medical care. We immediately took our adoptee to get all his shots. However, last week, our two indoor cats began exhibiting a gagging behavior, although the new kitten did not. We took them to the vet, but other than an, a shot, the vet was puzzled about the gagging. One of the cats still gags periodically. Uh, any idea what might have caused that? <laughs> cats, yeah, what can you say? Sounds like disgust. <laughs> They're disgusted <laughs> this new kitten came in. That's a joke, okay. <laughs> anyway, anyway uh, the every group of cats probably has their own little viral situation uh, that... The others, and any time you add a new cat to your population and they haven't been exposed to that, it sounds like it was not a severe thing, but uh, probably a little something that this kitten brought in. Sounds like they're okay, and probably it's just transitory. But, uh, yeah, I, could, I was just thinking of a cartoon where the cats, <laughs> cats were gagging in disgust <laughs> that this kitten came in. But, uh, anyway... Uh, they're strange creatures, but uh, I suspect this kitten did have something going on and maybe not even showing any signs itself. But uh, the uh, two cats that were had, in a protected environment mm-hmm. in the house probably had not been exposed to this. So hopefully it's nothing serious. But it is something that if it were to continue on uh, to just go back and, and double check with the vet, and it's a good thing, you know, they already have a track record. Uh, with their vet on this on this exact right. thing, so it would be right. good to follow up if they feel the need and, to. And certainly on this kitten, uh, there's not a lot of testing that you can do, but uh, it, I don't know how old it was exactly, but still probably should check for the major viruses like leukemia, uh, feline and uh, AIDS, if you want to call it feline AIDS, mm-hmm. and immunodeficiency virus. Uh, these are things that you should check just so you'll have uh, maybe rule out some possibilities later on, but this doesn't sound like that. Okay. Okay. Uh, we say thanks to Jerry from Biloxi who sent in a great picture of something she's trying to identify. Uh, the email says, I got this away from my cat. It was in good shape, no visible wounds. It looks like a skink, but has no legs. Hmm. I released it to a cat free place so it could go on its way. A little traumatized but none the worse for cat love. Uh, both Dr. Major and Libby took a look at this. They are a little bit stumped. It's, 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 it looks like a snake, but we've determined it's it, not. Yeah, it's, um, I think it's a glass lizard, but I wanted okay. to check and be sure, which is a, basically a skink or lizard with no legs. Okay. Looks, um, yeah. But, Jerry, hang on. We're going to do some more research, and we'll get back to you. But, again, bravo. What a brilliant picture you took of it we're always saying you know well get a picture of it uh, you did a great job and we will continue to try to identify that and yep. uh, we'll find sure out something glass lizard yeah, we will let you yeah. know one last email here to start us off uh we have a patch of four o'clock flowers and at dusk and later we've noticed what our think are sphinx moths are these common in mississippi yes oh and they're beautiful they're one of my favorites uh you might take a picture and send it to us and we can tell you which one we have a lot of sphinx moths and right if you can beautiful. get get yeah. them to be still long enough yeah it's kind of <laughs> they're kind of hard and, and a lot of people mistake them for a hummingbird uh and some people use that term hummingbird moth and there, uh, yeah there is one type that exactly. really is the hummingbird right, moth I right mean. and there there is a wide variety of those and uh most of them have uh, a lot of them have almost clear wings you just can't really see them hardly. Okay. That's cool. 
So, uh, honeymoon flies, double-headed bugs, love bugs, or as Java suggests, that black spot on the bumper of my car. What are these things? <laughs> okay, gosh. Uh, Plesia Arctica is their scientific name. Okay. Plesia Arctica. There are about 200 species of these Plesia flies. They're really flies, okay. so honeymoon fly is probably the best name. That was the older the the oldest reference I could find to love bugs was 1966. Good year, I guess, for that to come out. When <laughs> Beetle, but anyway, that's when they were really at their heyday. I think around Houston, New Orleans area. If you were driving from, uh, you know, driving south towards Houston, you were just you'd have to stop. Hmm. There were so many love yeah. bugs during certain times of the year. Libby, do you and think I, they were introduced to from? Uh, Central South America, <laughs> or were they here all the time? We think they came up on their own. No, they were not. All right, the first records, and uh, the first records are really around the Galveston area. In 1911, people started seeing them. And the the plesia flies have been known to science for a long time. We only have two species here in the southeast, and one species of them, the uh, plesia americana. May have been here longer, but it it doesn't have this weird attraction to vehicle fumes. To mm-hmm. and it, actually, the the um, Arctia or the what we call the love bug, it does. It's got this weird attraction to whatever's coming out of fumes. And there's been a little bit of scientific research. Some people have even speculated that their eye. You know, we've talked about how animals can see different things, ultraviolet. It may be a sheen that comes off the fume that actually attracts them. And but there's been some uh, work that they are attracted to um, formaldehyde smell. Mm-hmm. So anyway, they get attracted. And, of course, that's a fatal attraction when you're a small, <laughs> frail little fly. Maybe if there were a big, tough bug or beetle with a, a tough carapace, they might could live that, but they don't live through it. And yeah. they have that acidic body, so they it's, it's just a bad combination. And you're right. As anybody who's ever had to drive through them knows, that's for sure. Yeah. <clears throat> we need to take our first break. Uh, when we return, we'll continue talking about love bugs uh, and uh, looking for pet questions for Dr. Major. Also, we always love to hear your brushes with wildlife. So call in to join the conversation. The phone number is one eight seven seven mpb ring It's one 672 7464 After the break, we'll look into some love bug folklore. Would you believe that some people think that love bugs were synthetically made the result of a university experiment gone wrong. We'll discuss that after the break, so stay tuned. Welcome back to Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. Kevin Farrell here with Dr. Troy Major and Libby Hartfield. Today we're talking about love bugs, taking your pet questions, and I always like to hear your brushes with nature. If you want to join the conversation, it's a simple phone call. The number is one eight seven seven mpb ring It's one 672 7464. You can also email the show. Send it to animals at mpbonline.org. And if you missed any of today's program, you can always subscribe to the podcast using your favorite podcast app on your smartphone. Also, you could get the free public media app, MPB Media app, uh, and then you can listen to MPB Think Radio programs on your schedule. So, before the break, we said that the love bug had a bit of a lore around it. There are some believe that the love, the love bug is a result of a University of Florida genetics experiment gone wrong. 
being a fan of their arch rivals, the Florida State University Seminoles, I'm glad to see that they're, it would be University of Florida that made a mistake. But anyway, um, it's partly because the larval form of the insect is seldom seen as it lives and feeds in the thatch of grasses for most of the year. So uh, we, we know now that it is not a, a genetic experiment gone wrong, although that would make certainly a great movie. Yes. You know, maybe they're... eventually they could grow to giant size and... Uh, Start getting revenge on all the cars that the, they. The fly was, was that was one of my favorite. Yeah. So um, they don't sting. They don't bite. What's what's the purpose? Yeah. In fact, and I was telling them at the break, they have like the good twin. Mm-hmm. There is a a woods or a forest uh, love bug that has no attraction to those gasoline fumes, so it has this same unusual mating behavior that um, it happens privately in the woods because they're not attracted to our roadways. But these guys, the love bugs, they, you know, they're, they want to be where we are because they are attracted to our cars. And let's see. Oh, now I've forgotten what um, you had a specific question. Do they have a, per- I mean, what oh, is their? Oh, okay. Oh, their purpose, I guess. Mm-hmm. All right. Everything has to have a purpose. Well, their purpose, the way they see it, of course, is to reproduce. Right. So that's what they're up to. And when you think about um, records show that an average mating can last 56 hours. And when you think about your life is only four days long, <laughs> what is that? 70, 80 percent of, of your adult life. But now they, they also have a, a, a long larval life. Well, long compared to the four days as an adult. Mm-hmm. They can live um, oh, as long as six months in the ground before they emerge. So maybe they're having a happy existence down there, too. Who knows? But I guess they provide maybe food for uh, things up the food chain? Some things do. It's unclear how much can eat them because, you know, the the chemicals, the same chemicals that make them stick to your car after they hit it mm-hmm. and have that um, – they can etch your paint or, or cause problems to the chrome because they have an acidity. You know, we've talked about how some insects have that a little bit of toxicity. So mm-hmm. some birds don't like them. Some lizards don't like them. But we, we know that some do. But now as a larva living in the ground, they perform I mean, a function we just pretty much couldn't live without. That, that's the decay process. They're, they're another one of those little insects that quietly goes about chewing on leaves, leaf litter and branches that have started to decompose. So they eat and digest that stuff. And without it, we wouldn't have soil. Okay. You know, that's how soil is made. It's hard to imagine, but that's the good, rich part of soil is made by insects. So we've got some open phone lines. If you have a pet question for Dr. Major or if you have a question about love bugs or maybe you'd like to share a story, uh, do you have an effective way of getting them off your car after they've been smeared into uh, the windshield or your grill of your car? Give us a call because the phone lines are open and we always love to hear from folks during the show. The number is one eight seven seven mpb ring It's one eight seven seven six seven two. 7464. Send an email to animals at mpbonline.org. So again, we call them love bugs because most people seen them, I guess the male and the female joined together mating, and you said that that can go on for, for 50 hours. But it also it seems to me <clears throat> that when you see them, and I don't know what this is, I want to go this way, you want to go that way, <laughs> but a lot of times they, they don't really seem to be like they're kind of headed in one direction in any great hurry or whatever. Yeah, that, like 
a lot of couples we might know. <laughs> yeah, they, yeah, and they hadn't had long to figure this out, you know. <laughs> but uh, they're they're trying to they eat nectar. That's the only thing the adults eat. So if they both want to feed, that's kind of difficult. Oh, interesting. The the big one, I guess, not surprisingly, that's the female. Okay. Because you know she's she's got to lay all those eggs. So they they do have a little bit of trouble, I think, getting around, but it doesn't seem to bother them. When they're when they're not coupled, they aren't they aren't weak flyers exactly. Well, I don't know. I guess they're a weak flyer in that they don't have strong wings, but they can fly high. They've been found at two hundred, three hundred feet above the ground, so they're not always right at your car level. So um, after mating, where does the female go to lay the eggs? Okay. She goes to the leaf thatch, mm-hmm. the grass or, you know, rotten leaves, whatever is there, and lays her egg mass. And it's kind of a weird gray mass, irregular-shaped gray eggs that go to the ground. And then those little guys hatch, and that's where they start chewing around. Uh, we have here, we have two hatches of, of love bugs. And one that's kind of May, April, May, mm-hmm. and then those larvae that are born from that hatch live for about three months and then start hatching, and we're in the midst of one now, August, September. South Florida, like, that's not enough for them. They even have a December hatch. <laughs> so they're plagued with them <laughs> a long time. But so that little larva's eating around in the dirt, and then they pupate for a short time, and then hatch and it all starts over again and just looking at one of the ones in the jar i guess when they're not coupled you really can see that they do look a lot like a fly i mean mm-hmm. almost like a house fly so when they're when they're separated i think you can clearly see why they would be considered a fly but when they're joined up together like that it's just an odd looking uh, thing there mm-hmm. i've got some calls to get to we start with a pet question from claudia in jackson good morning claudia you're on the air with us go ahead good morning i have a question for dr major okay um, we have a seven-year-old hound mix that we got from the shelter two and a half years ago. She tested negative for heartworms when we got her, of course. She's tested negative for the last two years. This year, all of a sudden, she has tested positive. And we have faithfully given her the medicine every month. And I was just wondering if Dr. Major had an opinion about how this could happen. She's currently undergoing treatment. Yes, this is a perplexing thing especially if you know that you've been diligent uh with the heartworm preventive uh there are different factors that can enter in and there are some uh strains that may be resistant uh to the medication to the preventive uh that is unusual especially in this area right here uh some in the delta are more uh, uh, apt to have that happen but uh i'm sure your veterinarian probably is is counselor talk to you about the possibilities the uh the thing that you need to really be aware of if you're using the monthly preventive be sure to give that the same time every month uh if you give it on the first give it on the first if you give it on the 17th give it on the 17th every month it's important that uh the medication be in the bloodstream or in the body uh to help uh, prevent the uh, heartworm so good luck with her I wish I had a better uh, answer for you as why, but there are some known breaks in in that. Uh, okay, and we were giving her a multi-symptom, one for heartworms, ticks, and fleas. Should we switch to just one for heartworms separate from the ticks and fleas? 
I would suggest that, yes. Okay. Uh, I think that well, would thank be, you very much would be for your wise. And, and best of luck with her. She sounds like she's probably asymptomatic, right? Right. She's yeah. done fine. We just right. have the rules of what she can do and can't right. do, like she's uh, not supposed to run and all that yes. kind of thing right now. Right. But she's doing fine, has showed no symptoms. Well, certainly good luck with that, and I sure hope she does well. All right, Claudia, thanks for your call. Let's move on next. We've got Anne in Jackson has a wildlife encounter to share. Good morning, Anne. Hey, how are y'all doing? Good. I enjoy your show. Thank you. Uh, this is strange, I know. My husband told me he saw this animal, and I, I really didn't believe him. Uh, but now I have seen him, and I've named him Burl because <laughs> he seems to be part bunny and part squirrel. Um, he looks like a squirrel, except he's got a little white puff tail. And his hind legs... Um, look like rabbits and when he when he walks or hops or whatever he hops like a rabbit but he does climb a tree like a squirrel does anybody does this comment (laughs) my guess is it's a squirrel that has some kind of a condition since squirrels can go along the ground and in trees and i've never seen a rabbit climb a tree so if he's going in the trees but the legs the back legs look like rabbit legs but if if you look at a squirrel squirrel actually have those kind of haunches okay. on the back yeah if, if he's got some kind of a problem with his fur yeah you may it may not be covered as much oh wow that is strange if you can try get to, a picture of yeah, him try to well, get some i was trying to i haven't seen him in the last two days but i was trying to say get my husband to get his little deer camera out and say we need to get to document this little <laughs> What do the ears look like? That would be important. Well, it's his, well when I n- you know, notice his little facial seems to be squirrel-like, but I'm so, you know, I just saw the little white puff tail. I just go, this is so strange. <laughs> you know? how, how long is his tail? Oh, it's not long at all. I mean, okay. it is like a little, you know, it, it's not even much of a tail. It's just let's, a little let's, white puff. Let's get a picture if you can. It'd certainly be great. And, uh, Certainly call us back if you can do that. Okay. Okay. Well, I'll, I'll have be on the lookout for Burl and sending me all the Burl, all right. I love that. <laughs> oh, that sounds like a children's book. <laughs> Great name. Yes. Thanks, Ann, for the call. Hey, we've got some open phone lines ready for your uh, participation in our program this morning. Talk about love bugs. So if you have a love bug question or some love bug lore you'd like to share with us, uh, give us a call today. The number is one eight seven seven mpb ring It's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. You can send an email to uh, animals at mpbonline.org. And Dr. Major's here, ready to answer some pet questions as well. During the break, talk about, uh, uh, we'll talk uh, or ponder this question, if you would. Why are love bugs found on so many car grills and bumpers? And if you're paying attention earlier, you've got a lead on that one. There is some science behind the answer, and we'll delve deeper into that after this break. If you're a sustaining member of MPB Think Radio, we appreciate your support of our programs. To become a sustainer, go to mpbonline.org. Welcome back to Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. Kevin Farrell here with Libby Hartfield, retired director of the Mississippi Museum of Natural Science, and Dr. Troy Bajor, veterinarian at the Animal Medical Center in Jackson. We're talking about love bugs today. They're just about everywhere this time of year, and also taking some pet questions uh, for Dr. Major. The number to call is one eight seven seven. MPB ring. It's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four, or you can email animals at mpbonline.org. So before the break, we talked about or asked the question about why love bugs uh, can be found on the grills and bumpers of cars. And as Libby mentioned earlier, 
Uh, they're attracted to, I think, a number of things with our cars. The exhaust fumes, the heat from the engine, the vibration that the vehicles make. Uh, so that attracts them. And then being weak flyers, as again, as we mentioned, you know, once they kind of get sucked into the currents and things of, of all the cars going by on an interstate or something, uh, it's pretty much curtains for them. Uh, and so that's why you see large large masses of them um, around highways. So that's odd that it's almost kind of a natural, I mean, you know, they, they, I, I'm sure they don't really like to be smushed at, against someone's windshield. So it's a, kind of an interesting uh, thing there. Yeah, it's not good for either either participant there. <laughs> <laughs> uh, let's get one phone call in, and then we have a guest on the line that we'll get to. But first, let's visit with Willie in Vidalia. Good morning, Willie. You're on the air with us. Vidalia, okay. sorry. Go ahead. Yeah, what I'm asking about, okay, we got these lizards, and they, they kind of like they read that like they're invisible half the time. You can't hide a film if you don't really look for them. They'll crawl, and they'll be on the wall a lot. What, how can you, I don't know how you can get them to, they need to be, a, my wife's scared of them, really, though. And uh, I'm trying to figure out what it is we can put down, or something we can put, the, yeah, coming, they're still coming every night. They're the light be on. Mediterranean geckos. Yeah, and they're, when they're little bitty, they're really transparent. You can kind of see through their bodies. They, and I know they, they can be a little, they, they're out at night, so if you get up at night, yeah, it can be a little scary maybe for them to surprise you. They, they do like to eat baby roaches, so that's a good thing. Mm-hmm. But they're not going to be easy to get rid of. They don't go to any kind of a poison that you would put out, so that, you know, and you don't want to do anything that could hurt your pets. So they actually, they aren't real easy. If you can find the place where they're coming in the house, but they're so little, they can squeeze in a lot of places. So it mostly be up on the carport when the light, I have an emergency light come on and drive up. Yeah. If you, if you can refrain from using the lights right by the door, then they, they don't, they're not as likely to run in the house. That's when they get in the house, when they're right there by that light. Because they're, they, the reason they're attracted to the light is they're eating the bugs that are attracted to the light. Mm-hmm. So you yeah, might, and you, and yeah. Nothing you do to, and nothing you do trying to make them clear the doorway or something. I don't know a way to get rid of them. And I've talked to a lot of people about it because that's, people are having, that's a common problem that people are having right now with Mediterranean geckos. Bye. All right, Willie. Uh, appreciate it. All right, yes. thanks for the call. Uh, so, Libby, we have a guest uh, now joining us on the phone. If you could introduce our guest for us. Okay. Um, I think it's Richard Brown. He's the uh, Dr. Brown is the director of the Entomology Museum at Mississippi State University, and he's been on the show here before. He's interested in all kinds of things, and he's been all over the world collecting insects and studying insects. So let's we'll find out what he knows about love bugs. All right. Hey, Dr. Brown, thanks for joining us on the air this morning. Well, thanks for calling and having me. So we are talking about love bugs. Uh, we talked a little bit about uh, uh, the, the life cycle and how, how and why they're attracted to our cars. What are some other maybe some fun facts uh, or maybe uh, some fiction that we might want to clear up about love bugs? Well, one of the pieces of fiction was that uh, this was a plot carried out in Florida at the university there for uh, coming up with a genetic way of creating a super bug that could mess with mosquitoes, and and that's, you know, pure fallacy. Uh, But there have been rumors about how they seem to show up at certain times of the year, and uh, is it uh, something that uh, we created a monster. 
but as we know, they've been around. Um, they're actually, they go all the way down to Guatemala, and uh, I think uh, they were picked up in Louisiana in the early 1900s, and then they've just spread across our Gulf Coast. And they're here to stay, and I've got them up here in Octavia Hall County. Oh, wow. Uh, so, um, <clears throat> as, as Libby was saying, we get, uh, like, kind of two sort of cycles of them per year here. Um, yes. Mm-hmm. Talk about uh, their life uh, in the larval stage. Well, the larvae uh, feed on decaying uh, vegetable matter, um, and especially if it's wet. They, they like to have a moist, wet type of habitat. And where you have any kind of decaying vegetation, that's what they feed on. Um, the adults don't hurt anything. They feed on flowers and nectar, but the larvae are going to be in wet areas. And, and that's the problem with also with our roadsides. And you've you mentioned already the, their attraction to exhaust. And when the sunlight hits that exhaust, it breaks it down into chemicals that the love bugs, that these flies are attracted to. But if you've got ditches also where water can accumulate and it can be moist, then that provides a ideal breeding habitat. And so would that explain how they kind of migrated from, say, Houston and Louisiana more across the southeast, is that they just keep finding suitable habitat? <laughs> well, uh, we have lots of suitable habitat <laughs> in the southeast, uh, especially on the Gulf Coast. And um, I don't they, – they live outside of just roadsides. They can occur wherever there's any seepage or wet area where there's uh, – any vegetative matter that's decaying. And, you know, I've, I've uh, sort of wondered, uh, it would be a really neat project for someone to compare uh, roadsides with ditches, that uh, the roadsides that are mown, which would contribute to decaying vegetative matter, and roadsides that were not mown. I've not seen any studies about that, but it would be interesting. Yeah, to see how much of a factor that that plays right. in as well. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, what else? What other sort of uh, interesting facts do you have about uh, love bugs? Well, the uh, there's there are actually in a genus that includes uh, the Plesia genus. It includes one other North American species that goes up to uh, North Carolina, but it's never a problem, and it's rather uh, interesting that this. Central American species that's come into our Gulf Coast has uh, resulted in these massive populations. And as you mentioned, uh, they have a generation in the spring in April and May. And we're seeing the fall generation now with uh, the ones here in August and September. And I, I just came in through the parking lot outside my building here on Mississippi State Campus yesterday and there was a car, a university car, and it was coated. The grill, the, the hood, it was coated with the love bugs. And I said, yep, I know where they've been. <laughs> yeah, I just recently uh, took a trip to Florida, and at one point uh, going down there, probably south of Florence, between Florence and, say, Hattiesburg, it was almost as if it was raining because it was splat, 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 and it was just 
it got out of hand. And then, of course, I ran out of uh, uh, the the windshield fluid there about halfway down. So I was I was stuck with bug uh, junk on my windshield for quite a bit of the trip. Um, well, I, I think many of us, and Libby, you too, have experienced stopping the car on the side of the road and trying to clean off the windshield. Yeah, uh, yeah. I think they were worse. Now, is that is that a, a a reliable observation? It seems to me that when I was a kid on the coast, they were just <clears throat> really worse than they are now. But is that just because we were first experiencing them? Uh, Possibly, but then, uh, as with many insect species, there's population ups and downs every year, and there are years that will be worse than others. And the extent to which this is dependent upon the climatic conditions and the rain and how wet the ground is, I don't know. But um, I have seen uh, them being more numerous some years than others, and whether or not over, you know, the last 50 years, if there's been increase or declines, I don't know. It's sort of like, you know, we, we hear about, there's just not any lightning bugs anymore. They yeah. all disappeared. Well, we know that's not true, but a lot of our areas have changed, and the, uh, the lightning bugs or fireflies are no longer there. Yeah. So, uh, Dr. Brown, I guess uh, they spend most of their, or I guess more significant part of their life in the larval stage, but when they're adults, I guess their primary purpose is to find a mate. Are they, in their adult stage, are they either mating or searching for a mate for most of their existence? Well, one of the interesting things about them, um, the the adults really don't live that long. The adult males will only live a few days. Uh, Females can live longer. But in those few days, it takes a long time for the mating to uh, occur. And that's why we see the male and female hooked together for two days or more. And they'll be flying around coupled together, and that's not uh, the usual situation. Uh, most insects, it, it, you know, mating occurs very relatively quickly. But not that's not the case with these love bugs. They will stay uh, coupled for uh, quite a long time. Do you know the earliest occurrence of love bugs in Mississippi? Did you, do you have those in the collection by any chance? I don't know. Uh, it would. Uh, we don't have. We've got specimens that go back to the 1890s, um, and the first records that I've heard about were in Louisiana around 1911. Mm-hmm. Um, but there was not a lot of general collecting here uh, with our uh, uh, with our collection. It was more directed towards problem groups or certain things that were of interest to the people who were here at the time. And I don't think we have any historical information on uh, occurrence of love bug when they were first collected. So, uh, what are those oldest I- insects in your collection? That, that's well, actually, some are um, beetles. We had, and some of them were crop pests at the time. Um, and uh, we had uh, entomologists. The first full-time entomologist was Howard Everts Weed. 
uh, and he collected along the Mississippi River, had a publication on insects of the Mississippi River and collected butterflies. He had a list of butterflies for Mississippi, and that was the late 1800s, but he got fired. Uh, he supported a student protest, and that didn't go over well with the administration. So he left entomology completely. But that was some of the early work. And then in the 20s, we had a real resurgence of uh, a really uh, active period with documenting the insects with uh, ants, Marion Smith with ants. We had people working like Langston on scarab beetles, and there were... Uh, there's a woman, the first woman faculty member, working on scale insects. And during those that period of that decade of the 20s, there was a lot of activity. We have a lot of specimens from that period. So um, we know that uh, they're found elsewhere. I mean, they are attracted to uh, highways and interstates and that sort of thing in our cars, but we can find them anywhere. If uh, if maybe they're you're having a backyard function and they seem to be bugging you, um, any tips for how to get rid of them? No, I don't have any tips. And, in fact, getting rid of them along highways is not feasible. Um, and the if, if you uh, are unfortunate enough to have the breeding habitat for them uh, near your backyard, there's not a solution that I know of that is safe or um, practical um, because they... There, there's so many of them, mm-hmm. and they're, they're going to be continually coming out. And you might have a temporary fix with some fogging device, uh, but then hours later, you'll have more. Okay. So um, it, it sounds like the bottom line on that is that they're going to be here a couple times a year. <coughs> Fortunately, right. it's not too long, but we just got to grin and bear it while they're here, I guess. And if you want to paint a house, you don't want to do it during those periods. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's for true. Sure. That's the other thing. They're attracted to fresh paint, the smell oh, of wow. paint. Okay. Yeah. And to light colors. They like, uh, um, they like you know, the lighter colors. And uh, that's true of our Asian ladybird beetle, too. They, they're attracted to houses that are white or uh, a light pastel, a light color. All right. All right, so Richard Brown, thanks for joining us, helping us uh, learn more about love bugs this morning on Creature Comforts. Uh, one point, uh, they are weak flyers, so if they're out in a backyard situation, maybe getting some current going will help at least keep them yes. around, uh, away from where you happen to be. So. Yeah, I have read an outdoor fan. Yeah. All right, so one last break for the hour. We're talking about love bugs this morning. Dr. Major here taking some pet questions. We've still got some time to work in a phone call. The number is one eight seven seven mpb ring It's one eight seven seven. Six seven two seven four six four. And our final piece of love bug trivia: How long do the male and female love bugs stay attached? They come together to mate, but they're not always attached at the hip. So, how long do the male and female love bugs stay attached? We'll have the answer for you after this last break. Welcome back to Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. Kevin Farrell here with Dr. Troy Major and Libby Hartfield. If you want to join our conversation today with a question or comment, the phone number is one eight seven seven mpb ring It's one 672 You can email the show animals at mpbonline.org. We've been talking about love bugs, so if you have a love bug story you'd like to share, maybe a solution to how uh, you get them off your car, uh, or if you have a pet question for Dr. Major, give us a call. We've got some time left in the hour to take your phone call. Before the break, we asked the question, how long do love bugs stay attached? 
Uh, the male and female come together to mate and can stay attached for, now we think, maybe from maybe 12 up to 54 hours. Once the mating is done, this is kind of creepy to me. Once the mating is done, the male dies, and the female flies <coughs> around with the male cadaver for a day or two until she detaches, lays eggs, and then dies herself. So, uh, Now, that doesn't always happen, but it can. <laughs> okay, all right. It doesn't always, yeah. <laughs> Again, you know, we, earlier we had a, the horror movie, and that, that would seem to fit right in there as well. Yeah, you're uh, right. So. Somebody's really missing the boat on a horror movie here. they got to do that. Uh, one suggestion, a soaking with water for about five minutes, followed by a scrubbing within 15 to 20 minutes, should remove most of the love above remains from a car without harming automobile paint. And again, we said, uh, Libby, that the acidity uh, in the bug's body not only is a danger to our cars, and that's why we it's good to get them off uh, quickly, but also you said that's, we were talking in the break, there's no real record of, of, of any predators. Mm-hmm. Oh, and now a, a tip, we'll have to talk to Allison about this, but uh, guys in Louisiana put on on website that before the love bugs come out, they always wax their car, that that really helps to get it out. There's a sealant you can put on your window shield, evidently, and waxing your car makes it much easier to get them off. But they said you really need to do that before the fact, like early April and early August, if you'll wax your car, it makes it much easier to clean. Uh, one of the products for the windshield is called Rain-X, and I know when it rains, there's some chemical that the the water, you know, beads off to where sometimes you don't even have to uh, use your windshield to clear the, the rain off of there. So I wonder if Rain-X might help. That may be what they were talking about. Yeah. They said a, 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 a sealant for your Yeah, that would make sense because, yeah. like I said, it's amazing when you put that stuff on. I mean, and it, it lasts forever. Uh, but that would make, make sense that that might help keep the, the bugs splat off of there. we got some calls to get to. We'll start again in Memphis. Jim has called in today. Good morning, Jim. Go ahead, please. Good morning. It's kind of off topic, topic but it's something that I found very interesting enough to call my wife as soon as I saw it. On the grills of the cars, uh, I was down in Mississippi and saw a bird come into two different cars that had parked and was picking off the food off the grill. I've, I've seen, seen that, that too. I have seen that too. Isn't that strange? I, I just thought maybe it was something they figured out or something, but mm-hmm. and there were certain bugs they wouldn't pick, but there were other ones that they would just dive into on this, and then he went over to another one. That's the only bird I saw. I started looking since then. I haven't seen another one since then. Do you remember what kind of bird it was? I'm going to say a sparrow, but I'm not 100% sure. Yeah. Well, it, I'm, I was assuming that they would eat the fresh bugs because they be probably it. don't want it when it's dried out. Yeah, That might be it, but I just thought that was interesting. I hadn't, hadn't seen that. All right, uh, Jim, thanks, thanks for the call. Glad for sharing that with us. Uh, next, we've got Phyllis from Mobile on the line. Good morning, Phyllis. Go ahead. Hi there. How do I attract geckos to my <clears> home? <throat> well, uh, <laughs> I hear people wanting to get rid of them. They're wonderful creatures. If it's the Mediterranean gecko, yeah, yes. I know people that have definitely moved them to their house. In fact, I know uh, several people that have done that. And since they're not native, it is not considered harassing or anything else. You can, if you've got a friend that's got them, you can catch some and move them to your house. It's they're fairly fragile. Them in the outdoors, and uh, I see them on occasion, uh-huh. but I don't want them indoors because my cats will eat them. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. outdoors. Don't, it's don't it's, want them dead. It's probably just going to be luck if it's, in, yeah. if yeah. it's outdoors. I'm just, yeah. I, I'm just saying they're wonderful. They eat bugs. Don't kill them. Thank you. You're right. Thank you. All right. Well, they're be good care- to have around. Be careful when you're moving them. 
they are fairly fragile and uh, they'll tear or break mm-hmm. if you're not careful. Okay. All right, uh, Phyllis, thanks for your call. Next, we have Tim in Memphis. Good morning, Tim. Go ahead, please. Good morning. You're talking about ladybugs? Mm-hmm. Same thing, ladybugs? Um, I'm pretty sure I, I work for an extermination company. I'm pretty sure that they are a protected species in in Tennessee. In other words, you can't intentionally kill them. Oh, that's interesting. Do you know why? Because I had I had a couple jobs that uh, you know they had they had ladybugs in infestations, and we could we couldn't do anything. We we couldn't treat directly. We couldn't kill, kill them directly because they're protected. They they eat aphids, and they um, they're which is an important thing to know and some crops are particularly bothered by aphids and it could be that you were in an area where they were there was a crop grown for profit that um ladybugs were helping they're not protected like an endangered species or listed in any way but it could be that that was discouraged where you were because they're they were eating the aphids but you know well i i I disagree because by law you cannot you cannot kill them. If they happen to get killed from other treatments, that's different. That's legal. But you cannot intentionally treat for for ladybugs. It's against the law. They're well, a protected species. It, it, I know that for a fact. A certain area could do that. That's not true here. I guess what I'm saying is it, it, well, it's not a federal law. It's not a, a, a a federal law, but maybe there's a local prohibition for that. That could be in a certain place. All right, uh, Tim, thanks for your call. Let's uh, get one final call in for the hour, and it goes to William in Starkville. Good morning, William. Go ahead. Good morning. Uh, I was going to comment on the, uh, uh, the large numbers of, li- of um, uh, love bugs that we <laughs> experience down here, but they don't hold a candle to, to the mayflies that occur in the, uh, further north in the, in the Great Lakes region. I drove through one uh, uh, a crowd of them one time, and it, and it was like a heavy rain. Mm-hmm. And I've I've heard that they that they can slick a highway so bad that it's dangerous to drive. And I just am uh, am uh, uh, curious what time of the year they occur. I, somehow I have recollection it was on August, which sounds doesn't sound right since I think they're called mayflies. So <laughs> anyway, I, I just wanted to comment on that that that. Uh, uh, that is the greatest uh, scourge of insects that I've ever noticed in a lifetime. So thank you. All right. Thanks for the call, William. I've never seen mayflies coming out around a road, but I bet that would be a problem. I've been in a boat before when they when they came out, and there were well, around know, the thousands. Res- around the reservoir, they can be pretty, uh, uh, what shall I say, prolific and can cover things. I would say that that usually is in spring sometime here, like in uh, May. Mm-hmm. <laughs> maybe in, where he was May up fly. north, they, they, maybe they do come out later. Right. Yeah. Right. Uh, got a quick email here from Mark LaSalle, who says to Libby, thanks for mentioning the art exhibit at the Pascagoula River Audubon Center by our good friends Mary Anderson and Chris Stebley. What a treat to see the tradition of the Anderson family lit on. And by the way, the Walter Anderson Museum of Art is holding its inaugural Walter Anderson Week program beginning this weekend through September 29. That's time to celebrate with his birthday. Details on the museum's Facebook page or website. So uh, thanks, good to Mark. hear that. So. All right, so um, I guess as we've learned here uh, throughout the hour that um, 
These love bugs are going to be here two times a year. When they're out, they're going to be in pretty much thick uh, um, masses, and that there's not a whole lot that you can do other than grin and bear it and try to get them off your car as quickly as possible. And again, if you're in a backyard, maybe a picnic setting, and they're just kind of flying around, they are such weak flyers that if you get some current going, maybe an outdoor fan, uh, that ought to keep you at least safe and uh, not to be bugged by these love bugs. <laughs> That's going to wrap us up for today. Creature Comforts is a production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting Think Radio, funding provided in part uh, by listeners like you. Our show is produced by Java Chapman, and our call screener was Michelle McAdoo. So for Libby Hartfield and Dr. Troy Major, I'm Kevin Farrell. Up next, the newest 10 a.m. show, it's AutoCorrect with the lady auto mechanic, Allison Walker. We'll be back next Thursday at 9 for another Creature Comforts. It's heard only on MPB Think Radio.